Hello, John Terrell here. Pull a chair up to the fireside at Chateau Cube, where we discuss life, limited magic, and cube draft. Today we welcome my friend Jonathan Brostoff. You may well know him as the popular Twitch streamer and terror of MTGO, Team Jbro. Jonathan has an amazing record of cube success. He is the winner of the SCG Con Winter 2019 Cube Championship. He is also by far and away the most consistent trophy leader on MTGO cubes. Jonathan's excitement about cube isn't limited to winning cube events. He is an avid designer who has 10 paper cubes, and he is devoted to growing the cube community. He has a vision of a large-scale, in-person, competitive cube event that features a whole panoply of different cube environments. That dream is CubeCon, about which you've heard me speak many times now. COVID-19 set us back, but our team remains totally committed to the project. In addition to Jonathan's many magic accomplishments, he is a state legislator in Wisconsin. Jonathan's commitment to community, his infectious enthusiasm, his quick wit, and above all, his determined dedication to social justice make him ideally suited to his vocation. I know you'll join me in congratulating the Brostoff family on their newest addition as their second child was born a few weeks ago. I am delighted to welcome Jonathan Brostoff to Chateau Cube. Maybe to begin with, can you talk some about your favorite kinds of cubes? What, what are the cubes you most enjoy playing? And are these the same as the cubes that you find the most success playing? Or are those different things? Yeah, I have a couple favorite cubes that uh, other people might be well familiar with on Modo. The Live the Dream cube was recently up, and that was absolutely spectacular. That was a David and David collaboration. And that one was just such a blast. Uh, you got to kind of bend the rules of magic. As I understood from the creators of it, it was supposed to be kind of the feel of Commander in a cube shell. Uh, and it, I, I don't actually really play Commander at all, but I had a total blast playing this. I absolutely killed it at that one as well. It was So to your other point, yeah, I, I did very, very well. I didn't get to play it very much myself, although I talked to the Davids a little bit about it and um, looked at the list and did some drafting of it. So it looked like a slower format and, you know, designedly slower format, like there are two mana dorks or something in it. And then super combo oriented and lots of gold cards. So I wonder what your experience with those kind of facets of the cube were. Are these things that you appreciate about it? Yeah, absolutely. I got to play, first of all, one of the best design aspects that I, I really loved was there were so many cards I had never even seen before and I got to play with that. It was super fun. For example, there's a four mana artifact. So it's four uh, CMC colors mana for uh, artifact comes to play tapped. Each time you tap it, put a counter on it and then add one mana of any color for uh, each counter on it kind of like Lotus Mana, so it has three counters, it's three black mana, three blue or whatever. And that card was just bonkers good, especially when you have like Planeswalkers that can untap permanence or the one three that can cycle for one and a blue, um, or you can tap it to untap a permanent or cycle to untap permanent, stuff like that. That was just a ton of fun. There's so many cards I'd never got to play with before. And I think one of the strengths of... Cubes in general is the universe of magic is so large and so expansive. There's so many cards and far too often in cubes, it's it's easy to just fall into the same old, same old over and over and over. Being able to expand that universe and show people cards that they haven't had the chance to play with, but they can kind of expand the universe of magic, I think is is a beautiful thing. I think this cube did a great job of it. It was a little slower, so you actually really got to play with the cards. Um, another kind of commonality among cubes to keep, and, and I know this is one of your areas of expertise is the fun police, is having a dedic enough dedicated slots to the mono red deck where you can kind of keep all that stuff in check. Although this cube's design is kind of the opposite. <laughs> it was like, it's like, instead of like, I, I guess I would analogize it to this. It's like you have... Uh, you know, the Olympics or some sporting event where they're randomly testing for steroids to keep everyone in check. And that's like 
maybe a bad analogy, but it's kind of like the fun police coming by. This was an event where <laughs> everyone is on as much as possible. And <laughs> yeah. you're just pumping your deck full of whatever you can. Yeah. And you're just like throwing hammers left and right. And uh, I mean, there was two aggressive. There were, there, were, there were some, there were a couple archetypes of aggressive decks you could do in that cube, although... Uh, that they weren't super common. They were there if you look for them, nonetheless. And the fixing was great, which makes a big difference. And I got to play the Trilands, so which adds a whole other dimension to the cube. They're fetchable, unlike the other Trilands. The Triomes I'm talking about, they're fetchable. You can cycle them. You can bounce them and cycle them later with some stuff. You know, you can um, cycle them, get them out of your graveyard, cycle them again, maybe. Like, there's just a space there that's pretty cool. And then I was excited to play with them for the first time. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a blast, top to bottom. I would say I probably did the best with Grixis decks in that format. And, again, I think one of the best things to learn from a cube like that, one of the lessons I took away is it was just another reminder as far as you know, bring an innovation to the station and being able to play and, and, and exercise muscles you don't usually get to exercise with. Play with cards you don't normally get to play with, and there's a ton of that in there. For those of you who are building up your own cube collections, try to have one of those. You know, of course you have a power cube, you know, have have all the whatever, all the stuff that's fun to play, but try designing one like that, whatever that looks like. Another, a buddy of mine, a shout out to James Bolin, who I met in the finals, the SCG Con Cube. We'll talk about that later. But I was chatting with him the other night, and his submission for the online cube contest for Moto was an all one CMC cost cube. So everything is one CMC. I have no idea what that looks like, but I was fascinated by it. Yeah, so that was a Live the Dream Cube, and it was just a blast. And I, I dominated that one. I um, averaged 4.5 trophies a day by the end of the six days I played it. I believe that was the highest kind of win rate I've had for any cube over extended time. And props to David and David for designing it. Um, very well done. Do you feel like there was some key to your particular success in this cube? I mean, had you figured something, some things out that other people were failing to see? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... <laughs> it's a cube I've been practicing for my whole cube career. I just didn't know it. It's the type of thing, the type of thing that I like to do most in every other cube I play and I try to figure out and explore was the main facet, the main focus of this particular, of the Live the Dream cube. It's like when you're exercising with those weights on your feet and then you take them off, you can run so much faster. It's like, I've been doing this every single, pretty much every single cube I play, I try to do this. But now when you have a whole cube dedicated to it, I'm like, let's roll. And uh, I think that's why did so well is is that particular cube muscle of mine is well defined and you unleash the beast with no fun police like i'm i'm ready to roll like yeah. i don't have any fun police i'm <laughs> ain't no foil to my oil so are the weights in this analogy aggressive decks i mean is that is that the thing that's gone and that makes the biggest difference the, there were aggressive decks not there there was tons of fixing there was a critical mass of artifact fixing and signets there was a critical mass of powerful payoffs. So even if you cut one direction, you can go another, or even if you uh, want to try, you know, doing it this way instead of that way, there was space to do it and enough consistency, not of the types of spells, but of the power level of the spells to be able to do the most fun battleship. It was battleship cruiser magic. Yeah. And did did you play Starcraft? You know, Starcraft? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my takeaway from that cube was it's kind of like, three different ways to go about it. You can be Terran, and that's Battlecruiser Magic, where you just have the biggest ships, Yamamoto cannoning people, and just going, hey, why are you doing your cruel ultimatums? And that. Like, I've cruel ultimated multiple times. There was an eight-mana spell that lets you look at the top uh, ten cards, or eight cards, whatever, your library, and play a bunch of them. There was a spell that lets you take one of their permanents and take another turn in a row. There's all this, like, ludicrous Battlecruiser-type magic. Battlecruiser is a really powerful thing. you got these big shifts flying around, blasting people and flying off. On the other hand, there's also, you know, how do you beat Battlecruisers? Well, Blinkstalkers. So you got to, like, be Protoss, Blink under them, and that's more like the mid-range, lots of value off Planeswalkers, and basically before they're able to set up and do their thing, have enough, a little bit of disruption, enough, like, a little bit of artifact kill, enough stuff to like play with you know uh, hand disruption you blink under them shoot them down before they can get their yamamoto cannons charged 
So you can go Blink Stalker. That's Toss. Or you can go Zergling. And there was aggressive decks in that format. You had to be dedicated to it, and you have to really push for it. But there certainly were aggressive decks you could build, and I actually played a couple of them, just basically getting it in and then burning them out at the end. Uh, so you kind of rush in the base. But, you know, to me, it felt really like Battle Cruisers were my favorite. It was the funnest to do. But you did have kind of three different three different routes to go in that one. And for all my StarCraft people out there, you know what I'm talking about. You got the Toss and Zerg, the Terran. You got Yamato cannons shooting left and right, whatever. So, you know, let's go, Craig Wesco. Yeah, I played StarCraft, the original StarCraft. I never played SC2. I, I didn't play it seriously, but my friends and I would play it in, you know, high school. I always played Protoss, but I'd play Battlecruiser Magic Protoss, and then I would, uh, I'd go for the carriers and then like upgrade to the eight little, what are they, interceptors yeah, the little, or something? And, yeah, the, those uh, little guys that shoot out of there, yeah. Well, and, and again, I mean, I think that's really fun, and especially Magic being able to just do the silliest, most ridiculous, biggest things and just smash these big, you know, bots up against each other. And my takeaway from it as well was the two most powerful cards both happen to be white. Oh, yeah. And they both happen to be the same casting cost. Palace Jailer. Palace Jailer is one. That's I think that was the most powerful one. Yeah. What's the second one? It's also two white white. Oh, I don't know. I'd have to look at the list, I guess. Like Elspeth or something? Who else was? I don't know. What it else is like Elspeth. Okay. It is like Elspeth. But it's a different planeswalker. It makes a four-four vigilant angel for minus three. Oh, Sarah. And then, yeah, Sarah's uh, whatever. It's Sarah called. benevolent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she is. And I think, especially in a format with signets, which really puts it over the top. I think those two were by far the most powerful cards. And it's interesting because white is rarely uh, thought of in that fashion to have those powerful cards in a cube. And the deck that I had the most success with was actually Grixis. But, well, well, one of the interesting things, and here's a good design tip for folks that are into cubing like we are, which if you're hanging out at Chateau Cube, you know what's up. <laughs> if you're going to have a Monarch mechanic in a two-player format like Cube, think about what it's going to do and what type of interactions it's going to have. And if you have... A if you have or if you want a critical mass of creatures that can engage in combat, for example, if you're just going to have that, you know, have it be a very creature light or creature much more expensive to cast, then that person's sitting in the mana for quite some time. Or if they're going to be other mana cards to snatch it back in a critical mass, like how how are you going to play around with it? Or if you want that, if you just say, you know what, I want there to be a card that's this powerful and it's comparable, or it's you know it's the Black Lotus in the set, or what I said, ancestral recall set. It's you know and and but be very deliberate about it because when you toss around cards like that, the one thing to think about is that it can for some people dampen the experience in that it can be a relatively uninteractive experience. I see what you're saying about thinking carefully about introducing Monarch in a creature light format. When you have a creature rich format, I, I like the Monarch mechanic quite a bit because it makes people play to the board and it adds another layer of complexity to combat. And that can be super, super interesting. Changes combat quite a bit. I think my biggest beef with Monarch is just that there aren't enough viable Monarch cards. Viable in the sense that there are other Monarch cards, but they're a radically different power level. Like Custody Lich is probably the closest in power level to Palace Jailer, and it's still, you know, a tier or two off. They're 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 pretty far apart. And then after that it's like Regal Behemoth or whatever, and it's not uh it's not great. Uh at high power levels, Palace Jailer is about what you got. Right. Palace is definitely the most powerful one, but part of what makes it powerful is being for CMC. And of course, in black, we have another uh, one that's um, for CMC. It's uh, Thorn of the Rose. It's, I think, like a 1-3 or 1-4 Death Touch. And you also have, as shown one today while I was streaming earlier, you have a Mardu one, so for CMC with Death Touch and Haste and Monarch. And then if someone else gets the Monarch, you get a creature at the end of the turn or something like that. Okay. Yeah, Palace Jailer is cool for giving white access to cards, which is so hard to do in cube often. 
And that may be something that you don't actually want in, in your cube. You know, you may want to keep that out of white's slice of the pie and that's fine, but it's an extremely powerful tool for aggressive white decks to find ways of uh, recouping cards. Absolutely. And it's also, for the person on the other side of the table, super fun. It's also just great to slam it and you know get that extra card right away and then uh, bink their creature. So. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a cool thing. Well, that's interesting. So you've done a wonderful job describing this particular environment that you've found success with and that you really enjoy. Can you think of an environment that you also enjoy that feels radically different from the Live the Dream Cube in some way? What's something on like another end of a spectrum that you really like? Another one of my favorite Moto Cubes was a corset cube. I can't remember the designer's name right now, but it was all about corset and there was it was very different in that it was it was not battle cruiser magic at all. It was much, much, much lower in the power level. And it was just a blast. And it was more like instead of slamming battle cruisers into each other, it's like slamming hellions into each other, if that makes sense. But it was <laughs> much, much lower. It was, you know, not is definitely lower tier um power level but again it really had a lot of interaction let people play and there's a lot of really interesting mechanics in the core sets and a lot of really good core sets and it it just it blew my mind part of it was my expectations might not have been as high but you know i also got to do awesome things like destructive force like four or five times in one turn uh, which was I, i like doing the meme things on magic and i had a couple meme moments on it i did like one of the decks I did like 2,000 points of damage or something like that. What? Oh my goodness. Yeah, something ludicrous. So I, I like <laughs> the meme magic and it was good for that. That one was a total blast. And I, I want to highlight one more yeah. cube if yeah. I can from Moto's Past, I remember. This was an uncommon cube and it was only uncommons, I think, or maybe commons and uncommons, but it had all stars like Kiss of the Amisha. That was one of my like all star cards. I think the best card in it was it's a. I can't remember the, it's a card that gets back a sorcery or an instant, and then you can flash it back and get back another one. It's a card I don't, again, it's a card I don't play with, but in that cube, I identified it right away. It's like, wow, like this is a super dirtily cube, and the big sorceries and instants give you a lot of value. Therefore, being able to do it multiple times is like bang, bang, bang in the chicken wing. I'm looking for, you know, again, a lot of ability to kind of do your thing and set it up and, you know, it's kind of like, again, it's like the no rush, you know, it's like, all right, don't rush me. You know, let me build up my, you know, in, in the, in the um, real time strategy games. It's interesting you talk about uh, really appreciating cubes that expand the horizons of magic. I, I totally agree. Do you think that you're such a cube expert, such an old hand at cube, that these cubes that are that do more original things are thus still more appealing to you while for the more average magic player, whoever that is, like somebody who's more invested in, uh, you know, standard or something. Cube itself is something that pushes the horizons. Uh, more typical cubes are a thing that push the horizons in the way that you're describing. Like you've seen these horizons that may be <laughs> opening up new vistas to other people and you want something still more unique beyond that. I, I think there's definitely some truth to that. And I will describe the first cube experience I ever had, as best my memory can recall. But this was with my friend Tom Carroll, who took me over, who's, a, who's now actually moved out of town. But for many years, he's in Milwaukee, and he has this great house and would host these cube drafts and was kind of build this community cube for all of us. And uh, really, and, and he was my introduction to it. So shout out to Tom. I would not be cube without him. The first cube he invited me to, I just knocked out of the park, and I was hooked from the jump because I got, uh, it was a power cube. But I got Time Walk. I basically just built a deck around that completely. So I had uh, Eternal Witness, Is It Cronarch. I, ha- I had basically ways to get, not infinite, but I-, I had ways to chain like six turns in a row together and to just keep going over and over and over and to keep rebuying my stuff and bouncing my creatures and rebuying off that. And I had Regrowth, I remember, and I had uh, Plow Under. And I basically just from the jump was already kind of doing what you're describing for my very first cube right because most people would be like all right cool like time you know or not not, i don't know most people but i think it wouldn't be uncommon to think of being you know of of having a much more straightforward strategy but you know just the way my mind works on magic i'm just like all right let me 
let me just really push. Let me let me see what we can do here. And I'm going to emphasize this aspect of it and see what we can do around that. And, you know, so from jump, I was kind of like of that mindset. And that's just kind of how my mind these cubes. And I actually think it's part of how I've been able to be quite successful at, at, at cubing. You know, I, I mean, I, you know, people concede before, you know, because it's obvious that you just, you know, yeah. that you could just win. But were you pissed? Were you like, let me do my thing. Let me do my six time walks, damn it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think Kurt let me do it. Uh, let me play it out. I think he was there. But and, and that's the thing, too. It's like I knew right away. Well, if I do this type of strategy, if I take this regrowth really early, I can use my time walk right away. Because a lot of times a time walk, that's a consideration. When am I going to bust my time walk out? I'm going to get one shot. This I better double up on my planeswalker abilities or get a good attack out of it or whatever, whatever. But if you can regrow it, you know, let me do that. You know, then you're just like, okay, so I'll play time walk. I'll get an extra land. Go up to four lands now. Okay, now regrow. Play it again. Five lands. Now regrow both of them. <laughs> the next turn, time walk. Time walk again. Is it Kroner? You know, like da 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 da. And uh, it, it, it allows for stuff like that where normally you don't think a time walk in that manner or, or any of the cards, right? Or plow under, whatever. Yeah, just to say a time walk can be an explore. People get super excited about time walk, but it, it doesn't always do everything that people hope and dream. So that's great if you can use it as an explore and not feel bad about it because you know you're about to rebuy it and do it all over again. Or sometimes you just need one explore and you don't have a rebuy. Yeah. And it's the right play to do. And that's okay, yeah. too. Yeah. And you should totally do it. Right. Being able to be okay with plays like that is huge as well. Mm-hmm. Just so you it know really what? That's is. okay. Yeah. Right. Or right, it's turn three. You really need to hit another land drop. You didn't hit it. You just time walk and, you know, hope to find that next land. Yep. Got to be okay with it. Yeah, I'd love to talk about SCGCon. So you were, of course, the champion of SCGCon Winter 2019. Defeated the likes of Zach Hill, and he was your he was your partner in the finals, right? Wasn't was that or was he? I was James James Bullen. I think was in the finals. Mm. He was the round before that. Okay. Um, although I have to say his deck was amazing. Yeah, he had some kind of aristocrats type deck. I think right, but that was Zach's. Bolin's deck had the aristocrats. Uh, okay, I've got uh, it all wrong. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, no, Hill's deck was amazing. Hill had, anyway, his deck was amazing. The videos, I think, are online somewhere on the SCG so you can look it up. But, yeah, yeah. Well, Zach's uh, deck was incredible. It was yeah. it was a really good deck for that format. He really mm-hmm. studied it and, and made some good calls on testing as far as like having exactly the type of having a deck well tuned to that particular format. I think yeah. his, I would rate it an A, an a to A-plus deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was super fun. I, I watched that whole top eight and thoroughly enjoyed it. was rooting for you to go crush the thing. To even get to the top eight, you had to, of course, qualify via one of the um, Popper Cube events, right? Yep, and then you had to you, you had to do one of those, and then you had to do, you just qualify for the top eight of that and win that. Ah, uh, Right. Right. So you had some hoops to jump through, and these were hoops for which you did an immense amount of preparation. I remember you laying yeah. out these cubes on the table, and you were like walking around with your camera and showing me, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, how you'd organized all these things. Please do tell me about some of your preparation going into that. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. I I did as you, as you correctly recall. I I really wanted to win that event, mm. and I didn't even look at the power cube because you had to qualify and i knew there was only a handful of qualifier tournaments and i had to win one of those and so i spent about a week where i did about i would say at least an hour every day looking i, I laid out all the well before that i had a couple friends and shout out to the milwaukee crews a great magic scene here and a lot of supporters like you know my guy arthur edmund and, and many others who would come over and they drafted the cube with me you know i wanted to get the taste of it so i did two drafts of it beforehand and I laid out a system where I did all the removal for each color, all the card advantage for each color, you know, all the CMC. And I determined that by far and away, blue and black with red and a distant third were hands above the rest in, in those categories. And in a cube like in a cube like that, that's where I wanted to be at. I wanted that removal, the card advantage. And in my estimation, the best card in the format was um, the 2-1 flyer for two and a blue that draws a card when it comes into play. Oh, hell yeah. The um, Cloud Conseer. I mean, that's such a good card for sure. Yeah, Cloud Conseer. That, that was... 
you know, again, you have card advantage, you have evasion, you have a two power creature, all for the low, low price of, you know, three mana. So and there was four of the rolls, of course, you know, and, and just like how the mana cost played out, like one drops up to three, you know, where everything looked like spread out at a table like that and being able to see and analyze in that fashion. I think it was very helpful to me. I did a lot of prep work. I did, you know, for a whole week, I was I was just going over to my mind, thinking about it, even when I wasn't directly looking at it. When I go to bed at night, I was thinking like interactions, <laughs> what turns can look like, you know, if, if they're on the play, if I'm on the play, what, how I want it to turn out, what, what it's like versus these colors, those colors, and just kind of thinking through the different iterations of, of it and what I wanted to be doing. That was incredibly helpful. And I would highly recommend doing that sort of prep if there's ever a tournament like this again. Yeah, that's such good advice and a good reminder to people that Cube and um, I mean, I think we know this of Magic generally, but people may think of Cube less this way because Cube is so often this fun thing that we do where the stakes are typically really quite low for most people. But Cube isn't something that one's successful at just through mere luck or even through mere sort of repetition. You've got this hugely long experience and this long resume of amazing results on Moto and so on. And yet here you are laying out a cube on a table and practicing with your friends and thinking about it as you're going to bed and so on, right? So you still put an enormous amount of legwork into this cube and found success as a result. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, like Magic in general, without the preparation, it's hard to get to your destination. And why not? Not. And and also, by the way, the preparation is super fun. Mm-hmm. I love magic. I love thinking about magic. I love playing out the games in my mind. And I love being able to go through the different iterations to think about this color interaction versus that color interaction and like what, th- you know, what turn two looks like, turn three on the play, on the draw, da, 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 da. It's super fun. So you talked about you identified Demir as the best pair by far. And uh, you liked red as well. I know in our conversation, you'd said your plan going into this thing was you were going to force Demir. And then if all else failed, you were going to try to fall back to is it or Rakdos, you know, incorporate red into one of those other colors. So I wonder if this is your strategy in cube generally, how likely are you to force a color pair or a particular strategy? Or was this approach something that was unique to the SCG con experience when there's money on the line and eternal fame and so on? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I've never done prep like that for a cube draft I've done before. And I was hell-bent on qualifying. You know, I was going to get to play that regardless. And I've, I've qualified for other big tournaments like that, fun big tournaments like a Gen Con, the beta draft. I got the draft beta packs in there. You know, I've, I've had some other cool experiences like that. But I generally don't do that, at least not in that fashion. I, I don't go into a cube. And, and I can explain why. Because I, I like to earn while I learn usually when I'm cubing as opposed to like figuring all out ahead of time and then determining what I think is the most powerful and they're just pushing that because I like to you know I like to flow with it I like to see how I'm feeling it's like oh I'm kind of in the mood for a mono white deck and I want to see how that plays out or oh, I'm in a mood for five color I'm in the mood for you know a Grixis or you know and I and oh I want to see how this plays with that and I, and I like to just kind of play around with it like that part another part of the big success I have with cubes I have a blast doing it and I think if you're having fun playing magic, you're going to be better at magic. You're more relaxed. You're, you know, it's the losses don't sting as much and the wins, you know, are, are even are super fun. So to answer your question directly, yes, I was pretty unique to the SCG con experience. Um, that being said, it it really depends on on where I'm at that day. And sometimes I'll just say, yep, I'm going to force this because I want to play this. But it's usually more so because I want that experience that day. And again, the beautiful thing about Cube is it often lets you do all sorts of wild things. And if you want to just be an aggro deck, someday you can just do that. And if you want to just be a disruptive card vanji grinder deck, you can do that. And if you want to be a heavy hitting ramp, you know, whatever, what I, you know, you can do it. And I really like that. I pause for a moment to recognize the important work being done by the Urban Underground Organization. Urban Underground promotes black youth leadership in Milwaukee, and it supports youth-led initiatives that address education, justice reform, health, and community building. Jonathan, who marched for 100 consecutive days in the wake of George Floyd's death, endorses the charitable organization. 
As Jonathan says, even as we march against police brutality, we need to support black excellence. I am donating all of my Google ad revenue since my last podcast to the Urban Underground. Visit urbanunderground.org for more information. So when you are drafting a brand new cube, I mean, a cube that's new to Moto, do you typically look at the list before you start drafting? Or you, you dive in and just get your feet wet? It just depends on if I have time to. If I have time, I like to do it. It just depends on logistics. And, and, and actually, on my stream on Team Jabro on Twitch, uh, I've had people, because of my success with Cube, ask me to do streams beforehand where we look over the Cube and we break it down and we go by, oh, this is going to be good or that. I think one of my strengths at Cube is being pretty good at being able to assess what's where and know how, uh, think, you know, just being able to quickly understand this is going to be pretty good, this is going to be bad, da, da, da. And that I think a lot of people... At least the people on my stream who give me feedback. There might be people who say, screw this guy, he's been terrible, that just don't tell me. But Yeah, this guy who's got 37 trophies on the current cube. <laughs> yeah. Know, more you than know, double the second place person, right? Well, the, the people who um, I hear back from do say it's pretty helpful to go through it like that for them and, and that they do better when they get to hear that sort of analysis. So I like to do it when I can because I think it's kind of a helpful service. Uh, to the community and also I want and, and that's the other thing is I've had situations where I may or may not have been pretty directly responsible for, for kind of warping the formats uh, with cards, you know, with whatever. And I have people ask me, like, why do you do, you know, don't you just want and it's like, no, iron sharpens iron. I want my competition to be as good as possible. And that's make me better. And you do want all this information. I want the information getting out there because as soon as everything starts shifting, then you can get, you can figure out other paths and shift as well. So it's better for me actually to help other people out. It's better for them because they're going to do better and win more trophies and get more, you know, treasure chest, whatever, whatever. But it's also better for me because even if it's by a small percent, but any increase in the strength of competition, and again, there's so many people playing, it's hard to know, you know, what what's what and who's who. But I've had people play against me who've beat me, who have said, hey, by the way, I wouldn't have done this without you. I knew to learn this, me and da da da, who messaged me afterwards. We've talked about it, and that's great, and that's how it should be, and that's helpful, and that helps me. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse, in my opinion. So I want to be growing. I don't want to be going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And people disseminate information through other channels, too. I mean, I've seen uh, people on other streamers chats say, you know, I saw Jaybro doing this thing the other day, you know, and he, he thought this was a particularly good thing. And maybe people say similar things on, on yours. And that, that's great. Absolutely. Now, I will say, if you have not watched Caleb Durward's Caleb DMTG's stream yet, do yourself a favor, especially a cube aficionado. The things that he's able to do with cubes, there's no one I learn more from than Caleb when watching his cubes. He's able to come up with interactions that I would have never considered. And he always finds the most unique lines that are very, really good, but just things I never thought about. I can't think of any good examples right now. He's also wildly entertaining and mastered his craft just for streaming in general. But Cube in particular, he's amazing to watch and I would highly, highly recommend. And there's no one I learn more from than him. And I try to watch other channels and try to ask questions and learn from other people with cubing because that's how I get better and I want to get better and I want to be the best. But Caleb's is amazing. On the subject of how you evaluate cubes, you've talked about your approach to the SCG Con cube. When you open one of these lists for a cube that you haven't yet touched on Moto, what leaps out to you? What are some of the first things that you're looking for? Some of the first things I look for are the following. The first thing I look for is overall converted mana cost. And shout out to Cube Cobra, to our guy Decker, Decker Deckeruski. Uh, who is also, first of all, shout out to every, let me give a shout out to everyone for KubeCon real quick and not just yeah. Decker, but we got Justin Parnell, you, Brian Kowal, shout out to Zach Halpern, uh, to Zach Hill, to BK, to all of them, because, you know, they all put a, a great effort into it. And because of the Rona and the global pandemic, we're not able to execute it. But Dekaru, who is the creator of Cube Cobra, really is doing a great service to the Magic and Cubing community. Because the first thing I do is I pop it open on, on Cube Cobra. I look through the list and I'll look for converted mana cost right away. I always I skim all the colors for CMC and I look for two things with that. One is, 
is there a critical mass of red one-drop creatures? And is there a critical mass of white one-drop creatures? And then the next thing I look for is, is there a critical mass of green one-drop ramp creatures? And then I, and then the second thing I look is, what's the red burn situation? And how many spells do three damage? And then how many spells do four damage? And those are the first things I look for. You head straight for aggro. That's, that's your first stop. Yep, so- I head straight for the aggro. Agro defines a format for you. It's it, I want to know how open we are for other strategies. And until I understand exactly how many cops are in the neighborhood, I won't know how much <laughs> we can get away with. In other okay. words, I you know if, if we got if if the fun police are like you know busting out the riot here and and you know stomping down your door, you're going to have to adjust accordingly. And a card like Thraven Inspector. Or a card like Lightning Helix or a card like... Uh, wall of Omens or Wall of Blossoms, any of the... Like, yeah, Wall of Blossoms. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, I'm trying to think of a... I can't remember the name. Or even a Collector Brutality, whatever. All these cards become very different than in a format where the fun police are not around. For me, that's the first thing I'm drawn to. Second thing I go to is I look through the multicolored cards. And I look to see who's got what where. So, for example... Is there Doretti Spaghetti? Hmm. So Doretti, Iconoclast Genius, just to say. <laughs> Doretti Spaghetti. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rakdos won the 3 CMC uh, Doretti that starts, I think, at 3 loyalty plus 1 to make a 1-1 one, one defender artifact minus 1. If you sack an artifact and blow up a creature, minus 6 make 6 copies of something or whatever. That dude, like, or if there's, uh, you know, what, what Demir looks like, if there's Ashiok, uh, Shinobi, and uh, the uh, Scarab God, what white-blue looks like, what gruel looks like. I want to look through all the multicolors, the two two pair, the paired multicolor cards first. And after that... Actually, may I pause you there on gold cards? Yeah, please. People often use gold sections, especially when they're thinking about retail limited, I, th- I think, actually, more than cube. People litter gold sections with um, signpost cards that are going to flag archetypes. From what you're saying, it sounds to me like as you are looking over gold sections, you're not so much looking for uh, signals about narrow archetypes that exist in particular color pairs. You're looking instead for uh, extremely powerful cards that catch your eye and that will draw you to a color pair. Absolutely. Is there a fractured identity? Because if there is, that changes the game significantly, as is often the most powerful card in any cube, or one of the most powerful cards. Or or is there a three mana to fairy, for example? You know, I, I, I look for I look for the color pairs immediately because the other thing to think about is if there's a critical mass of extremely powerful Demir cards, which there often is, I mean, Scarab got many cubes, especially modern or even legacy cubes, is first pickable. Ashiok, three mana Ashiok is first pickable. If there is a critical mass of incredibly powerful Demir cards, then you're going to get rewarded by forcing that early. Or same with uh, Gruul. If there's uh, Kylo, you know, Kylo Bobo or whatever that guy is called, the the god enchantment that drains for two life every turn and can ramp. Or if there's a cube with a cruel ultimatum, you know, look for the heavier stuff after that. But but first off, I look for the color pairs and I want to see what's there because that tells me a lot about what's going on in the cube as well. Then I look uh, for blue and I look for the instants and sorceries, especially at two and uh, at, at a two and three casting cost. And then I will look through the artifacts and I want to see if there's ramp and I want to see what the equipment situation is. Also, the equipment tells you a lot about a cube. And I think it's really important to consider if there's a critical mass of equipment, if there's a skull clamp in the format, as that can be a very, very warping card yeah. that often should be first pick. Yeah, uh, It's that powerful. If there's Jitte, um, you know, what swords there are, uh, which can make ramping creatures much better, etc. So, uh, yeah, so I look for the, I look for the aggro potential, multicolor, blue, then I look through the artifacts, um, especially what the ramp looks like, and then the equipment. That's kind of my, my first go-to moves with a, with a cube. Um, then I'll start looking for other stuff, like how many wraths are there, what are the colors they're in, 
Um, where do, where do they start at the mana cost? How many planes? Wa- oh, that's the other thing I'll look for pretty early is what what's the planeswalker situation? Okay. Oftentimes in cubes, you can just get dominated by they're just going to incrementally generate so much value as long as you protect them for a couple turns that it's just you're you're just going to you know so. Therefore, I, you know, I want to see what the Planeswalker situation looks like. And specifically, I'm looking for what three CMC Planeswalkers there are. For example, the blue one that makes a 4-4 creature or the uh, Lilianas, either the three mana Lilianas or the three mana um, Gideon. Uh, yeah, you know, there's or, two now. There's the new one, a uh, newish one. There's Black oh, yeah, He's pretty good, too. But, yep. Yeah. Mu Yanling Skydancer. As that's the, right that's the right. blue one yeah she's real she's real good she's quietly good i call i've been calling her a three mana air elemental with suspend one i mean she's not exactly <laughs> that but you know if if she's not answered in a turn then she gives you that air elemental well and she's got a relevant ultimate with the uh-huh. with the islands yeah. and being able to bink your opponent's creatures is relevant as well yeah her plus defends herself quite well minus yep. two minus o and loses flying on one target creature uh she's good and any planeswalker that can come down on turn two if you're you know if you can go elf into anything that's a three mana planeswalker that's just game warping absolutely of course oko is insane but even a mu yanling on turn two is yep. also insane and very hard to deal with or like a Nissa Voice of Zendikar on turn two or something. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. So that's kind of my go-to. I'll, I'll look through there, and then I'll, I'll just peep over the rest of the stuff. Like, oh, it's interesting. They've got enough, you know, they got a bunch of adventure stuff, or there's a critical mass of, of flyers, or there's a lot of ninjutsu stuff or whatever. You know, I kind of want to piece together in my mind what the top decks would be. If I if I could just, like, look over this, what, what I'm going to build this to be most powerful and then I start thinking the different iterate, you know, that, well, this is what you're going to play against. This is how it's good. You know, da, da, da. everyone's probably got their own take on it. But if you want to do better in cube, do your preparation before you reach the destination. You're going to want to look it over and whatever you're everyone's got different metrics of how they look at things, how they're analyzing by just putting in the calories, you'll do worlds better. Like, let me say it like this. You play chess, of course, right? Mm-hmm. You know how to play. So if you teach two people how to play chess and they just play against each other, it's like, okay, they're probably at about same level. Da, da. But as soon as one of them figures out how to think three moves ahead, they're worlds above the next person. They're like at a whole nother level. And the difference in, in, in ability between those two mindsets is staggering. And then of course you have people who are like, Grand, you know, grandmasters or amazing tournament players, whatever people who have memorized all the openings, whatever many of the openings or categories of openings, and they're at another level. And then you know, there's levels in this game, like anything. Much like that, just by putting that preparation, looking through it, thinking it over, you're going to be the chess player who's like got this skill set that's putting you above of the differential of like thinking three moves ahead to someone that's not. That calorie burning, the the effort you put into it is going to be wildly helpful to you. So I would highly recommend that. Okay, awesome. Well, in a sort of similar vein, we've discussed what you see when you look at a cube list. Could you talk some about what you see when you crack a pack? Pack one, pick one. What what is your eye drawn to? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can we do that? Can we do that? You have some some packs, right? I do. I do have some packs. Let's take a peek. We're going to do a pack one, pick one from the Coltec Cube, as it appeared on on Modo back in May. And we'll post a link to this in the show notes to this cube. But also for those listening, let me read the cards. So we've got Ajani the Great Hearted. He is the rare Selesnia Ajani from uh, War of the Spark. And we've got Mouth to Feed. Bloodstained Mire, Zombify, Nature's Lore, Flicker Wisp, Green Sun Zenith, Rune Snag. Uh, that's a two mana, it's a mana leak that uh, requires uh, a tariff of two. Emrakul the Promised End, that's the new Emrakul from Eldritch Moon. Eldritch Moon. Canyon Slough, Quatley Warrior Poet, Negate, Voracious Great Shark, Scattered Groves. 
and Woodfall Primus. So what do you think, Jonathan? Okay. So I'm trying to remember back to this cube, and what I remember about it was there's a critical mass of two CMC counterspells. There are, yeah. That Demir was the deck I did the best with, I think. That I had the most success with. Maybe it was blue-white. And that there was a lot of cycling as well, a lot of one CMC cycling, so you could build for consistency. There is, that's true. So I would probably go with Emrakul in this one. Okay, Which sounds obvious and kind of like unelegant or inelegant because it's just the biggest big daddy fatty around and it's knocking if you bucking but on the other hand it does a couple things first off in a format like this we're going to have fetch lands you're going to have cycling cards instants and sorceries you're going to be countering stuff and you might have artifacts that go to the graveyard it's likely you could get this guy to you know like an eight cmc I think that's possible. And for eight mana in this format, it's slow enough where you you want one big daddy fatty finisher. And I would probably try and draft a blue black or blue white deck that's very controlling and only have in a format like this have tons of counter spells, hmm. a bit of uh, a critical mass of card advantage, removal, and then two or three finishers. Okay, interesting. So would you be looking to cheat Emrakul in, or are you taking this as a finisher that you really are hoping to hardcast? I mean, cheat in the through its native mana reduction, maybe, right? And cast it for eight like you're talking about. Or are you going to try to build a reanimator deck or some other kind of creature cheat deck around Emrakul? Nope, just just for the... Con- in fact, I'm not even excited about the 13-13 Flying Trample, Flample Protection from Instance. I want to take their turn. Okay. I'm just interested in a big daddy fatty going to get it done in the sun. Okay, interesting. That's super yeah. cool. Um, if this, if Emrakul wasn't here, I'd actually be interested in the Huatli Warrior Poet just because it's kind of a cool card and I don't get to play with it very much. And it's pretty fun. I guess Emrakul fits that too, but he's in a lot of cues. But yeah, I'd probably go with the Huatli, even though I don't love the color combination. I think blue is the best because it's just cool. I also vaguely remember there was like that red was really good in this and Mm -hmm. there was like a lot of redundancy among like the fun police and like Mm -hmm. so being able to gain life is is quite relevant, which also makes the Ajani one attractive. Actually never mind. I would go for the Ajani. I would try to build around that. Depending on my mood, I might just go for Ajani, even though it's it's in pretty bad color combination and just Try to build around it. I mean, starting off at five, going to six right away if you want it is is pretty good. Giving your creatures vigilance kind of protects it. And just being able to level up and like gaining three life is almost like it's just shy. To me, that's three fourths of drawing a card or so every turn. Like I would equivalize four life to one card. So yeah, I would go for the Johnny and then see what shenanigans we can get into because it gives extra loyalty to Planeswalkers as well. Wow, that's super cool. That's really interesting. <laughs> Um, yeah, what's what's your take? Well, I man, I wouldn't start on any of these cards. So it's so cool to hear your uh, <laughs> hear your take on the pack. I love it. The Emrakul, I can understand taking that. The funny thing is, it wouldn't even occur to me to try to be casting that card. For me, I look at that almost entirely as a cheat target. That like, if I can cast it, that's gravy. So that's that's cool, but I can totally see what you're you're saying that you build a you know like a Terran turtle um, controlling deck, and then here's here's your battle cruiser. There's no doubt that Emrakul is indeed a battle cruiser. Huatli, warrior poet, both of these gold cards. I'm just extremely loath to start on a gold card. And Huatli, warrior poet, as you say, red and white aggro are real things, and Boros is a real thing that saw some success too. Five CMC is like kind of a lot for aggro top end, so that's not great. But Huatli is a you know it could be fine as a one of top end card in an aggressive Boros shell. So anyway, my pick is almost certainly going to be a land. So we'd have to kind of ignore the lands if we wanted to find more interesting picks. So you're going with the Mire. You're going Bloodstained Mire. Yeah, that's exactly right. I take Bloodstained Mire. I value the fetches extremely highly. And as we can see from this pack, there's plenty of dual lands. And the Triumphs are in here too that have the basic land types on there. So you'll be able to get them. Were the Triumphs in when I drafted it? They weren't out yet. Mm -hmm. No, they had just come out. Yeah. In fact, as you see here, 
Voracious Great Shark is from Ikoria. So I snuck in some Ikoria cards. After that, this pack, I think, just isn't great. So for me, it's probably either Rune Snag or Nature's Lore. I like one of these two mana kind of bread and butter pieces. Also, Green Sun Zenith is just excellent, and I've got so many mana dorks in the cube that I can be pretty confident I'm going to pick up a mana dork later, and Green Sun Zenith has application beyond just finding mana dorks. Well, very good, yeah. Nature's lore makes my heart sad, but that's just me. <laughs> it's in, in this cube, I just remember a two-mana green Ramsfeld just being like, oh, come on. Yeah, no, yeah, that's true. That's totally fair. Um, I just, I just, I, I vaguely remember this cube just being a step too fast. Yeah, that makes sense. I can, I because it only gets forest, right? It does, but it comes into play untapped, and it will pick up like scattered groves or whatever. You know, it can pick the duels. So, oh yeah, touche, touche. I mean, it is two mana ramp isn't isn't great, but then also, so a one mana accelerant. Like a Llanowar Elf is clearly much Bolted. better for being one mana, but also it's eminently boltable and there's, there's tons of inexpensive interaction. Really, what I'm looking for for a one mana ramp spell is something like, um, you know, I want an enchantment based one are the are the best of these like Utopia Sprawl or Wild Growth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So nature's like, what about Flicker Wisp? It's an interesting one, too. It's not a pack one, pick one, but how good was that in this cube? I think Flicker Wisp is a fine card as an evasive beater that also does some things. For me, like there's no blink deck, right? So Oh, that's right. That's right. Flicker Wisp isn't doing anything super cute. Okay. But if you're in white aggro, then Flicker Wisp is just fine. Yeah. And it maybe has some additional utility, but mainly it's a three power flyer for three, you know? Gets sort of a blocker for a turn. That's relevant. It's mm-hmm. not an elephant. Yeah, right, I'm picking yeah. through these and I'm remembering now this cube. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, moly. but you said you personally had the best results with a controlling shell. It sounds like that's super that's super interesting. Yeah. The Azorius deck did quite well too. So the best decks, the best deck was red for sure. And then I think the second best deck was mono white, but then the third best deck was blue white, given our overall results. Yeah, blue white was good. And there's also there's also like two of the three CMC planeswalkers, right? Mm. Two of the three CMC white planeswalkers, two Gideons, I think. Yeah, that's right. There was Black Blade and Gideon of the Trials. Yeah, both okay. of them were in there. And then there were some four mana ones, including Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, and Sarah Benevolent. And those are both. Oh, and Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis. Yes. That card still isn't getting enough respect, I don't think, in the cube community. But that card. Oh, man. Love that card. Yeah. It does so much and asks so little. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think people are wary of this thing that just down ticks and down ticks, but it's so much value and you can buy her back. It's amazing. As soon as it down ticks, you get to uptick it again for six mana. So the quicker you downtick it, the quicker you get to uptick it. So. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> All right. Let's look at Decoru's cube. Yeah. So I'll read these off. We've got Search for Tomorrow, Custodial Lich, Thran Dynamo, which is the f- four mana three. Custodial Lich is the four mana four two that you become the monarch whenever you're the monarch, they sack a creature. Everyone knows Thran Dynamo. We've got Sylvan Advocate, the two mana two three Vigilance. It gets bigger if you got more lands. Acidic Slime. Nyx Lotus. Four mana. Comes to play tapped. Artifact. Choose a color. Tap it. Choose a color. Add the amount of mana you could have you your devotion of that. Okay. Mimic Vault. Whip of Erebos. I whip my air back and forth. One of my favorites. <laughs> Court of Calling. Brain Maggot. Experimental Frenzy. Blade Splicer. Brineborn Cutthroat. The M20 Flash... If you cast a spell during your opponent's turn, put a counter on that card. Interesting. Another two mana, two one from blue. Watcher for tomorrow, one of my all time mm, faves. I like that card a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Lanor Elf. Okay. Well, I'm taking Custody Lich and slamming it. I don't remember this cube as well either, what I did with it. I, I, tro- I topped both of the cubes and trophies. Yeah, you did. But I don't remember this one. But Custody Lich's power level is just off the charts compared to any other card in this pack. It's by far the best card. If it was not in here, I'd probably take Watcher of Tomorrow. And again, remember, Watcher of Tomorrow 
I do think there's a blink deck in this format, and Watch Your Tomorrow is not when it dies, it's when it leaves a battle. Right. So that card is buckwild. Yeah. And it's only two mana. You get an impulse that you can basically like bounce or unearth or blink or, you know, whatever, like over and over, or that trades with something like fantastic. I'm taking Custody Lich. If it's not there, I'm taking probably Watcher for Tomorrow or Whip of Erebos. How about you? I think you make a strong case for Watcher for Tomorrow, and I love that card as well. My only sadness with the card, and it's hard to complain about it, is that it enters tapped. So it's, you know, much worse than it might otherwise be against aggro. True. But, you know, whatever. It untaps and then it still blocks and does the whole thing. And like you say, blink. Um, that makes that makes sense. That's great. Llanowar Elves is probably my next pick. And if I remember correctly, Gwen constrains the number of elves. So this is a higher priority pick than it might than it might otherwise be. But still, I take one mana acceleration very highly. Mm-hmm. And we've got two one mana accelerants here as well. Uh, oh, the search for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. I don't know. Search annoys me. Do you like search for tomorrow? I do. Um, it can't be bolted, as you said, yeah. but and it can get any land and it puts in source in your graveyard. So theoretically, you get E-Witness to get it back or you could use it for Emrakul to make it cheaper or uh, Tarmogoyf for stuff like that or Kylo Boko. But it's not as good as Elf. Elf is better. Yeah, I mean, Search for Tomorrow is great and all when it's in my opener, but it just feels so bad when I draw it. It's like this real bad cultivate. True. So I don't know. I don't rate that card super highly, but if I'm building a a ramp deck, you know, I'll take it at some point and put it in. I'm also looking at Brain Maggot. I love those hand disruption cards. I'd rather have the, you know, the Duress or whatever, of course, but I like um, uh, even the creature based ones. I I like Mm -hmm. quite a bit as well. Mimic Vat is way too cute for me. I think that, you know, it's an awesome card when it works, but I, I'm just afraid of it being a, mm-hmm. a real mess. Whip of Erebus is a is a fun card for sure, and that's a great build around, you know? Pack one, pick one dad, and go for it. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah, this was a really fun cube, and it got a lot of good feedback as well. Again, like, these are two of the cubes that are going to be highlighted at KubeCon when we get over this global pandemic and get to actually play IRL again. If anyone here is listening to this, you're into cubes. KubeCon is for you. Can't wait to play with you when the time comes. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. And just to plug the series, I have a whole video series, a four-part video series on uh, the Cultic Cube YouTube channel that's devoted to data analysis of the Cultic Cube and the Decru Cube and uh, how people interacted with those on Modo. So Watsi gave us data for a total of about 40,000 decks for the two cubes, reams and reams of data. So I got together with some friends who are mathematically minded, analytically minded people and did a lot of work on that. That was a super cool project. So check that out. Yeah, I, I have. And it's fantastic. And it's also the other thing that's really nice about your videos are not just the content, but the process that you go through, which I think anyone will be helped by hearing how you analyze. I think that's applicable outside of that context. Oh, well, awesome. I appreciate it. Well, what else? Is there is there anything else we should touch on, Jonathan, that I haven't asked you about or things that you want to add? Yeah, there is. I would, everyone listening to this, if you're listening to your fan of Cube, let Modo know that you wanted these cubes come and you want to keep playing and you want to keep the, you know, there's long stretches we go through without any cube available. And during the Rona, When we're all stuck at home and things are, you know, going through this tough time, Cube brings a lot of joy to people's lives and being able to access it and have it be available for people that can play in a safe distance from others, stuff like that is awesome. So tweet at MTGO or Magic Online or whatever their Twitter account is or Wizards or whatever and let them know. That's something I would highly, highly recommend and would ask that folks listeners do this little call to action and uh, check out my channel, uh, Team Jabro on Twitch and uh, come stop by and say hi and give me some tips and tricks and learn cube or drafting that day and come hang out. And thank you, John, for all the work you put into this. I think you're an incredible content creator 
And, you know, early on, after I won the SCG Cube, um, I wanted to reach out and I, I got in touch with you because I liked your content. We started, you know, a dialogue. And, you know, I, I really had the goal of building up KubeCon because, first of all, Cube has given me so much and magic in general. And I wanted to give something back to the community. But second of all, it's something that we could do that would be awesome and would be a ton of fun. It's the type of event I would always want to play in. And we were able to get a critical mass together. We were able to get the space, get everything figured out, uh, get the cubes there, get everything in order. And then the Rona hit. I just can't wait until this actually gets realized. Uh, Zach has been great to work with. Well, both Zach, Zach Hill as well. BK, Brian, uh, uh, Gwen, yourself, everyone else, all the friends, you know, there's been others uh, who, you know, we can't name, but uh, who've been helping behind the scenes and Justin Parnell as well and stuff like that. So thanks to everyone so much for all they're doing to help make it a reality. And I I just can't wait until I'm I'm busted at the seams for it. And um, yeah, I can't wait to start playing IRL cubes again. It's a great opportunity to connect with your friends. Yeah. Jonathan just wants to get 120 of us all in the same room so that he can go through and one by one uh, defeat us in, in, in the bloodiest <laughs> way imaginable in uh, in Cube. It's going to be a massacre. Oh, man. No, it's going to be a blast. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, no, it's going to be a dream come true. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Thanks to Chateau Cube. Thanks for all the work you do. And people want to get at me. Um, hit me up on Twitter at Jay Brostoff. I'm a state legislator. I'm a Cube enthusiast. And I love interacting for both those reasons. So hit me up about whatever. Let's get to Cuban. Here at Cultic Cube, we cube religiously. (laughs) 